Hello, YA and paranormal fans, and welcome to Sarah Hosey's Imagining Elsewhere. My name's Kayla, and this is CamCat Unwrapped. I'll be introducing you to each episode of Sarah Hosey's Imagining Elsewhere. Set in 1988, this YA novel stars one recovering bully and one very powerful current bully. If you're a fan of 80s new wave music, Patrick Swayze movies, and psychological warfare, this one's for you. Imagining Elsewhere is one of those unputdownable books that makes you question which aspects of your life are real and which are forged by magic. It's a book to live in. When Astrid Friedman Smith relocates to the creepy town of Elsewhere, New York, she has all sorts of plans to be a better person, to really turn over a new leaf. See, Astrid had a bit of a bullying problem back in her hometown, and this problem is part of the reason her family has moved. But when Astrid meets the teenage tyrant Candy, will the bully become the bullied? Or will Astrid revert to her old and awful ways? Pull on your favorite leg warmers and pop in a side pony as we travel back to simpler and more neon times and imagine elsewhere with me. If you find yourself loving this book as much as we do, CamCat Unwrapped is hosting a giveaway this week where one lucky winner will receive the full audiobook of Imagining Elsewhere for free. All you have to do to enter is subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, or newsletter and answer a quick survey, all of which are linked in our bio. Each new subscription is one entry. So make sure you enter for your chance to win this book to live in. Enjoy! CamCat Publishing presents Imagining Elsewhere by Sarah Hosey. Narrated by Susanna Lise Freeman. For Jess, John, and Julian. Chapter 1 Moments after she met Candy Clifton for the first time, Astrid Friedman Smith experienced a sinking feeling of recognition. She knew karma when it came around to bite her in the ass. It was on that very first day at her new school that Astrid found herself flying, literally flying across the cafeteria and then falling face down on the polished linoleum while her classmates laughed and threw milk cartons and french fries at her. She knew she deserved it, especially because her own poor choices had been one of the main reasons she was at this new school in the first place. It was the fall of 1988 when they moved from Queens to elsewhere New York, in part because Astrid had a not-so-insignificant problem with bullying and harassing other students. A problem so big, in fact, that it had made the New York-area tabloid newspapers, which ran third- and fourth-page headlines like High-Performing High Schoolers Get an A-Plus in Cruelty and Out on Her Astrid, Lead Bully Expelled from Prep School. Footnote, but we'll get to that. Astrid had lived in Elsewhere for a full two weeks before that first day in the cafeteria, and she'd still believed the move had been punishment enough. This was partly because, before the move, 
when Astrid had looked up elsewhere in the World Book Encyclopedia? Footnote. The hard copies of Wikipedia. Big books in an alphabetical set, they covered lots of topics but were sort of limited. For example, there was no entry for anything really contemporary, and there was no good sex stuff, much to the dismay of many middle schoolers. All she was able to discover was that it was a small, economically depressed community where the high taxes were matched only by a startlingly high suicide rate. Some real small-town values right there, Astrid had thought. She'd imagined that if she could simply survive her senior year at Elsewhere High, she'd be fine. She'd had no idea that surviving elsewhere might actually be a challenge. She'd heard of Candy before she'd met her, and even seen a picture of her. For some inexplicable reason, there was a lurid painting of a 12-year-old Candy hanging up in the public library. From what Astrid had gathered, this Candy girl, despite only being in high school, ran the town of elsewhere. This made no sense to Astrid, but then again, there were lots of things about her new town that she hadn't been able to fully comprehend. How it was possible, for example, that the town simply didn't have cable and barely got network television stations. Footnote, once upon a time, if you had a good antenna on the top of your house, your television was able to stream, not what we called it, seven or eight stations. And that was it. Or why was it that everyone was so scrawny? And not in a fashionable New York way. They were unhealthy, sunken-eyed, and sallow-looking. And why, at least if the classes Astrid had attended that first day were any indication, did no one seem all that concerned with attendance, academics, or really anything close to scholarly rigor at Elsewhere High? Astrid couldn't ask these questions, though, because up until the day she met Candy, no one was willing to actually speak to her. All of her overtures of friendship had been met with either blank indifference, nervous giggling, or wide-eyed, outright fear. That all changed the day she met Candy. Astrid was sitting at one end of a long table, empty except for a cute, nerdy kid alone at the other end, who was immersed in a D&D rulebook. Footnote, don't ask Astrid how she knew what it was. She wouldn't want to talk about it. Astrid was, strategically, sensorially cocooned, the cure blasting on her headphones, eyes glued to her blue binder, on which she was putting the finishing touches on an elaborate rendering of the words, the sugar cubes, and chewing on the turkey sandwich she'd just bought and then customized, removing the turkey and putting chips in its place. She had almost forgotten herself, munching away, when a strange sensation overtook her. It was as though someone had thrown a big down comforter over the entire cafeteria. She looked up to see that everyone was talking differently, standing differently. They had an unconvincing nonchalance about them, as though a camera crew had entered the room and they were trying to act natural. And then there she was, Candy. She wore a white cinch belt over a skin-tight pink dress, layered pink and white socks and white Ked sneakers, and dozens of bracelets on each arm. Her voluminous blonde hair, which framed her face like a lion's mane, 
added several inches to her height. She walked like a runway model, drawing each knee up before shooting her pointed foot forward, like an archer drawing an arrow. Lift, shoot, lift, shoot. Other students parted to let her pass. She was flanked with a girl on each side, who walked just a bit behind her, reminding Astrid of the V-shaped formation birds flew in. Frozen mid-chew, Astrid wondered if they had planned the entrance. It felt like something out of a John Hughes movie. Footnote. John Hughes made a bunch of 80s movies that, for many of us, really capture the 80s teen experience. Be warned, though, like a lot of 80s pop culture, they're totally racist and sexist. Perhaps the music still streaming into Astrid's ears helped, giving the trio's dramatic march a soundtrack. As it became clear the girls were headed toward Astrid, Astrid's table mate quickly put the rule book in his pocket and scurried away. Astrid longed to follow him, but was pinned in place as Candy, with a flip of her magnificent hair, rested her gaze on Astrid's face. Awkwardly, Astrid put down the pen she was gripping and, despite her churning stomach, forced a hopeful smile. Astrid, who had been popular, really popular, at her old school, thought maybe this would be her chance, her introduction into the upper echelons of elsewhere society. She willed herself to play it cool, or at least cool-ish, Candy crossed her arms and regarded her coldly. Astrid stopped smiling. Her heart raced with fear and, she realized, a bit of excitement. This was the most socially stimulating encounter she'd had in weeks. And, she couldn't help but admit, Candy was startlingly beautiful. Beyond her basic good looks, she had the face of a Sears catalog model and the figure of someone in an aerobics workout video. Footnote. This was actually high praise. She was somehow luminous, as if she were being followed around by her own special lighting crew. Astrid wanted to snort contemptuously and pretend to refocus on her drawing, but she found that she couldn't take her eyes off of Candy. Candy's lips moved, but her words were inaudible to Astrid, who still had music blaring into her ears. Astrid moved one headphone to the side and said, Sorry, hi, what did you say? Candy widened and then narrowed her eyes. Astrid gave a closed lip smile and removed the headphones completely, pushing them down to rest around her neck and, after fumbling with the player, turning the music off. What's that? Candy said impatiently, gesturing toward the table. Is that a transistor radio? Astrid looked down and then back up at Candy. Yeah, basically, she said. It has a tape player, with headphones. It's a, she didn't want to appear patronizing, but it seemed to Astrid that the other girl actually didn't know. Upstate was clearly behind the times in so many ways. It was possible they hadn't heard of the invention yet. It's a Walkman? Footnote. A Walkman is a tape player you could carry around. This was a brand new idea in the early 80s. Later, there was a Discman, which played CDs, which were, oh, forget it. 
Candy hummed, a low and lovely noise that could have meant comprehension or agreement or even disapproval. I'm Astrid, by the way, Astrid said. Astrid, Candy repeated archly. No one else in the cafeteria was even pretending not to watch them. Instead, they stood, wide-eyed and spellbound. You're, um, you're Candy, right? Astrid asked. She sat up a little straighter. It seemed to her that this might be an audition. Somehow, however, no one had given her the script. Candy stared stonily. I'll take it, the other girl said at last. What? Astrid asked. I want the radio, Candy said, and the headphones. Despite herself, Astrid felt her cheeks flush, her breathing coming too fast and shallow. She knew, she knew all too well from her past experiences, that she had to somehow assert herself, make it clear that she wouldn't be pushed around. But having been on the other side of this situation, having been the bully, she also felt she had too few options. She wasn't going to try to fight the other girl, obviously. She was seriously outnumbered. But placidly handing over the brand new Walkman that she had used all of her money to buy would only make it clear that she was ripe for future exploitation and abuse. She concluded that she'd have to fall back on what she did best, channeling her inner Heather, footnote, Heather Chandler, that is, from the iconic 1989 cult classic, Heathers. Astrid said, um, what's your damage? I don't know how they do things in elsewhere, but usually people in human society get to know each other, hang out, and then, sure, maybe borrow each other's stuff once they're friends, which I have a feeling we are not gonna be. So, um, that's a no. She closed with a mock sincere smile. A gasp went up from the audience. Instead of angry, Candy looked more like an affronted teacher, her mouth agape in shock. It seems we have a misunderstanding, Candy said, adopting her own fake smile. This is how we do things in elsewhere. She reached out a long arm and picked up the Walkman, but the headphones were still around Astrid's neck, and she was pulled forward over the table before the headphones came free from the device, snapping back at her. Suddenly, a male voice called, Get her, Candy! Take her down! Astrid glanced over her shoulder. Her classmates, some with their arms folded across their chests, others leaning on each other jauntily, were no longer silently observing. They were murmuring, giggling. Astrid was alarmed to realize she didn't understand what was happening. What did that guy mean by get her? She regretted not scrambling away when the nerd at the other end of the table had. She was out of her depth with this girl, outnumbered in this crowd. And yet Astrid couldn't, or wouldn't, completely abase herself here. Couldn't just walk away and let the other girl publicly rip her off. So, staying the course, she began to step out from the picnic bench-style cafeteria table. Footnote, 
do these still exist, or does everyone sit on ergonomic-slash-hypoallergenic yoga balls at lunch now? Saying, Oh my god, take a chill pill. I will loan it to you if you ask, but this is totally uncool. You're falling, Candy observed, her voice neutral. And she was right. As Astrid tried to slide out of her seat, her legs somehow became tangled in her backpack strap. Suddenly, her arms were pinwheeling and her legs were shooting out behind her. Her half-eaten sandwich plopped to the ground beside Astrid as she landed painfully on her hands and knees, her palms pressing against the sticky floor. It was silent for a beat, and then, suddenly, shockingly, everyone started laughing. The entire cafeteria was screaming and hooting. Astrid picked up her bag and scrambled to her feet, the blood rushing to her head, making her feel even dizzier. Her focus narrowed. She simply needed to escape this room. Why did the doors seem so far away? You can't stop falling, Candy laughed. Astrid felt what she imagined to be a hand pushing her from behind. This was when she flew, her arms outstretched Superman style, before she found herself on the ground again, cheek to linoleum. Again, she pushed herself up with her palms, but now the floor seemed impossibly slippery, as if someone had spilled milk or juice. The general hilarity continued, more and more uproarious, as Astrid rose and again tried to move toward the impossibly distant cafeteria door. Unbelievably, she fell a third time, tripping over her own feet and pitching forward, knocking her head against a plastic bench. Someone said, she's bleeding, as though they were concerned, but nevertheless, the laughter continued. Astrid's body would not cooperate. Nothing was working right. She could not get to her feet. She began to crawl on her hands and smarting knees, aware of how pathetic she must have appeared, but determined to escape. She saw people's shoes. Her fellow students were at least parting to make a path for her. Something hit her with a soft thud, and a small carton of chocolate milk came to rest beside her. As though the floodgates had been opened, others now screamed with laughter as they pelted her with half-eaten lunches. She closed her eyes, inhaling the scent of industrial cleaner, grease, and sneakers, before opening them and rising a final time, her hands outstretched, like antennae that would guide her to safety. She willed her legs to propel her through the doorway. Astrid heard Candy's voice, predicting, directing. You're passing out. And then it all went dark. Chapter Two Astrid had a cottony and foul taste in her mouth. Her right foot was cold and wet. Her clothes, too, were damp and sticky and smelled vaguely of dirt, sour milk, and sweat. The air itself, however, smelled crisp, like freshly mown grass, which made sense because as Astrid opened her eyes and looked around, she realized she was on the soccer field. It was early evening, 
not yet dark enough for the huge, looming field lights to be turned on. The sun just starting to set behind the large, almost menacing school building. She looked down to see that she was only wearing one of her Reeboks. Slowly, she sat up. She blinked and ran her hands over her face before standing. Her knees were wobbly, and her stomach empty and upset. But I'm okay. I'm alive, and I'm in one piece, she thought. Where is my other sneaker? The shoe. This was a tactic that Astrid recognized. It was a show of power. In fact, Astrid recalled doing something similar once to Evie Rosilio, a girl at her old school. Although Astrid had stolen not just a shoe, but Evie's entire ensemble during gym, and Evie had to wear her dorky gym uniform, including shorts that she had clearly outgrown for the rest of the afternoon. Astrid pushed the memory from her mind and refocused on her own persecution. How long had she been out? Had anyone missed her? Did her mother even notice that she wasn't at home? Astrid could answer that last question easily. No. Astrid shivered, but not from cold. She bent to pick up her backpack, which was beside her, in unaccountable kindness. She unzipped it to see that while her books were all stacked neatly inside, the Walkman and headphones were not there. Candy had taken her prized possession after all. Astrid kept her remaining shoe on and started to trot, limping away from the school, feeling every pebble through her thin sock. If she'd not been so upset, distracted, and generally distressed, she might have stopped to inspect some of those rocks, to see if there were any nice ones she might like to bring home. But she was, in fact, upset, distracted, and generally distressed, so she jogged mulishly off the field, past the school, and then down Main Street. She didn't stop until she could see the driveway of her new home. Heart pounding and still somewhat dazed, she stumbled up the front steps. Once inside, she moved quickly, trying to bellow a hearty, I'm home, as she rushed to the staircase, hoping to avoid her mother and Cecile, her 12-year-old sister. They called back to her from the living room, a week, come tell us about your first day, from her mother, but neither one pursued her. In the bathroom, she looked at her haggard, ashen face in the mirror. She had a gash in the middle of her forehead. Her fingers rose automatically to touch it. It didn't hurt. It wasn't deep. But it was ugly, red, and angry looking. Unsummoned, another memory returned shoving Evie Rosilio on the steps during a fire drill. Astrid remembered the surprising softness of Evie's plump upper arm as Astrid had pushed her. She remembered calling out in a false tone, sorry, oh my God, are you okay? When the other girl hit her forehead on the staircase railing. But Astrid and her friends hadn't waited to see if Evie was, in fact, okay. They'd just galloped, laughing, down the rest of the stairs and out into the sunshine. Evie had gotten a gash, though. Astrid saw it the next day when she'd come into homeroom. Astrid regarded herself another moment in the mirror. The cut looked like Halloween makeup. Her hair, which she had laboriously curled and teased up that morning, 
as though a cool hairstyle would have made her any friends, was flat and greasy against her thin, scowling face. Noting the dark circles around her eyes, she thought, sardonically, that she might just fit in and elsewhere after all. She stripped off her soiled clothes and got in the shower. Under the hot water, she recalled her almost heartbreaking optimism as she'd marched to Elsewhere High that morning. The thought of returning there ever again filled her body with a jangly, prickly dread. After her shower, she lay in a towel on the bed, unable to turn her mind off and drift into unconsciousness. It wasn't as though she could run away. She didn't have a car, and she only had a learner's permit anyway. Plus, she had nowhere to run away to. Although she was hoping to convince her mother to let her take the bus to the city to stay with her aunt and uncle for a long weekend later in September, that would only be a brief escape. She couldn't stay with them permanently. The fact was that she was undeniably trapped in this horrible place that was apparently stocked with a nasty, violent, inhumane mob led by a beautiful, cruel, teenage tyrant. Astrid quickly slid under her blankets and shut off her light when she heard her mother's footsteps on the stairs. Alas, she was not quick enough. Hey, sweetie, her mother said, standing in the doorway. I'm sleeping, Astrid said. I saw your light on a second ago. Astrid hadn't had an actual conversation with her mother in days. And although she told herself she was simply curious to see how long they could go without speaking, she was actually hoarding this information greedily to be weaponized at a later date. Remember the time we didn't speak for four whole days? Oh, no, of course you don't, because you didn't even notice. The mattress squeaked as her mother sat at the foot of her bed. Enough sulking, her mother said, gently squeezing one of Astrid's feet. Tell me about your first day. Astrid was almost alarmed. Perhaps someone from the school had called home. But no, her mother seemed way too laid back to know about her encounter with Candy. With a heavy sigh, Astrid heaved herself up and switched the light back on. What happened here? Her mother ran a finger over the cut on Astrid's forehead. I fell in gym class, Astrid lied. Her mother's brow furrowed. And you hit your head, she asked. Astrid shrugged. That she couldn't tell the truth somehow made her even angrier with her mother. That she couldn't say, I was attacked in the cafeteria and then I was knocked unconscious and left on the soccer field and no teacher bothered to intervene or call you somehow seemed to be her mother's fault. She looked at her pretty and sharp-featured mom, who didn't wear makeup and didn't always remember to tend to her curly hair, who was so skinny because she forgot to eat, who was always so busy thinking deep thoughts that she neglected to think the shallow ones, even though they were sometimes important too. There's nothing to tell, Astrid said, adding, except maybe that you somehow invented a time machine and took us back like 50 years ago to a place that is totally weird and awful. And then you get to get back in your time machine every day and go to the real world, and me and Cecile are stuck here with all the freaks and weirdos. Listen, her mother said plaintively, 
running her hand up to Astrid's calf and giving it a soothing stroke. Let's just give it a little time. Let's give it the school year. You'll be going away to college, okay? Just a year. Whatever, Astrid said. She moved her leg away from her mother's hand. Despite her resolve to be stoic and suffer through her punishment, she couldn't help but want to punish her mother as well. Maybe I could just go live with dad in Germany or something, she said. Astrid, her mother said, warningly. Astrid's mother knew that Astrid would never go to live with her dad, that the threat was just a shortcut to hurt her. You don't get it, Mom, Astrid said. A tear rolled down her cheek and she batted at it. Her mother tried to wipe the tear from her face, but Astrid pushed her hand away. I know I don't, her mother said. Her mother was working hard to pretend she wasn't noticing Astrid's mounting irritation. Sometimes it takes a while to feel settled somewhere, she said. You know, to make friends and find your niche. Maybe if you and Cecile got out more, went hiking, that sort of thing. Oh, she said, remembering something. I got you this. Her mother had been carrying a small paperback book, which was unremarkable, as her mother was more likely to be carrying around a book than not. And now she placed it next to Astrid on the bed. Field guide to the greater Triantic New York region, her mother said. There are obviously amazing rocks around here. I mean, elsewhere is like 90% sandstone from what I've seen, Astrid said, grudgingly. Her mother ignored her. And when you're not off doing solitary rock hunting, maybe you could check out, I don't know, the lake or something. And I was thinking we could go to the movies this weekend. Saturday? Wouldn't that be fun? Astrid shrugged, noncommittal. She did want to go to the movies, but she also didn't think she'd ever be leaving the house again. Sounds rad, Astrid said sarcastically. Going to the movies with my mom. There are worse things, her mother said. Um, yeah, I'm aware. Chapter three. Her mother eventually took Mercy and, with a final pat on the leg, left Astrid to stew and worry in peace. And that she did. She fully indulged the familiar swelling anger that she felt toward her mother. While what had happened in the cafeteria clearly wasn't her mother's fault, what had happened in Queens certainly wasn't, her mother had made the decision to move to elsewhere unilaterally. That past spring, Astrid's mother had finally gotten a big career break, a tenure-track position at a reputable college. This is how it happened. Astrid's mother, like her father, was a philosopher. Many people, Astrid knew, were surprised to discover that such a career actually existed. And look at Astrid, fortunate enough to have not one, but two of them in her own family. Astrid's father had years ago left her mother for a young graduate student. Astrid would be lying if she told you she didn't care that he'd abandoned the family. He was, unlike Astrid's mother, a successful philosopher. He and his latest child bride taught at a university in Germany, a place where people seemed to still value geniuses. 
There were some people who thought that Astrid's mother was a genius too, but that was not the general consensus. In fact, most of her colleagues thought that Astrid's mother was, their word, a crackpot. Reviewing her second book, one esteemed scholar wrote that, it is neither ethical nor humane to pretend that the ramblings of a disordered mind have academic merit. And so, her mother, the crackpot, taught part-time at several colleges, always scrambling to get together grant applications and book proposals, sign adjunct contracts and grade papers. And then things weren't looking much better for Astrid's mother career-wise when she had to cut back teaching so she could homeschool Astrid for the remainder of her junior year. And yet, somehow the stars had aligned. Her mother had landed a longed-for tenure-track job at a college in upstate New York. She was ecstatic. Astrid was not. Especially when she discovered that they were not moving to the college town her mother had gotten the job in, but a nearby, even smaller town, lacking even the basic college town amenities, such as futon shops, record stores, and access to cable television. However, although Astrid had never admitted it to anyone, in fact, had loudly protested the move to elsewhere, there had been a part of her that had hoped for redemption, that hoped a new place, a new school, and a new start might mean new friends, a new attitude, and a new Astrid. It turned out, she thought wryly, that this really was going to be a new chapter for her. Ha. Huh. It was beginning to look like living in elsewhere might be a very precise kind of justice. Driving into town, snaking up and around mountains, they'd passed a sign. Welcome, you're in an elsewhere state of mind. Isn't that like plagiarism? Astrid had muttered to herself in the back seat, thinking of the Billy Joel song. And then, because she couldn't resist, not a good sign. Although nestled among picturesque mountains, elsewhere, like many towns in the region, had clearly seen better days. The commercial district was one street, unimaginatively called Main Street. Among the boarded-up shops on one end of that eponymous street, there was a general store slash pizza shop, a furniture store, a diner, an old-fashioned soda shop with a sign that read, Sweet Shop, and the town's crown jewel, an art deco theater that appeared to show surprisingly current movies. The town library, which even Astrid had to admit was a beautiful old building, concluded the thoroughfare. The high school resided on a rocky hill overlooking it all. Many of the homes were weather-beaten Victorians or dilapidated ranches, set far enough apart from each other to remain somewhat secluded, with a few tackily decorated trailers shoehorned into small lots here and there. The nicer homes were on Lake Crescent, a half-moon-shaped body of water near the edge of town, while second-tier homes like Astrid's abutted Fremont Forest. Everything seemed walkable, Astrid's mother had informed her, and their house, Astrid had to admit, was pretty nice. It was also really well-priced, which Astrid's mother explained meant dirt cheap. It was a run-down, three-story Victorian on two acres of land. Like something out of a children's book, it had the perfect combination of unruly ivy, hidden window seats, peeling paint, 
pocket doors, and charming nooks. So there were perks. Astrid would no longer have to share a room with her sister. They could run the rock tumbler, blast their music, and have screaming arguments, all without worrying too much about their neighbors. Astrid could, if she was still around in the spring, think about starting a garden. But none of it made up for the fact that Astrid had been assaulted in the cafeteria, that they'd set upon her, that they'd treated her like some kind of loathsome creature, less than an animal, or that it would be awfully hard to claw her way back up from that sort of low. Astrid wished she didn't already know it all too well. Chapter Four The next morning, Astrid dressed quickly and hustled out of the house. Will you walk your sister to the bus stop? Her mother called as Astrid pulled the front door shut behind her, leaving without saying goodbye. That would be a no, Astrid grumbled to herself. Although she'd wanted to get the hell out of her house, she didn't actually want to go to school. And so her feet were heavy, as though encased in lead as she trudged the half mile to E.H. A thought occurred to her. Is this how it was for Evie Rosilio? Is this why she couldn't bear the idea of returning to school? Is this why she... Astrid felt, for a moment, as though she literally were Evie, marching toward her tormentors. And she was so shocked by the sensation that she stopped walking altogether. No, she assured herself. That had been different. What had happened back in Queens was not unfolding again in elsewhere. I don't deserve this she thought, willing one foot and then another forward. But then, neither did Evie. She argued with herself. I didn't know she was going to do what she did. I wouldn't have given her such a hard time if I'd known she was so sensitive. It wasn't my fault. Not all of it, at least. She silenced the part of herself that rose up to object further. As Astrid slogged through the early September heat, the school, like a distant fortress, began to appear over the tops of the trees. The building was actually quite grand and beautiful. Pre-war Depression-era public works construction, stately with long, tall windows and arched doorways. Before, Astrid might have admired it. Now, she considered the similarities between school and prison buildings. Upon entering the cool, cavernous foyer, she was immediately intercepted by the school principal, Mr. Barton. He was a large, chinless man wearing a gray suit and a light pink tie. Miss Friedman Smith, my office, he said, his voice booming and ricocheting off the high stone walls. Astrid started to speak, but the principal had turned to walk. She followed him up the central staircase, two sets of stairs forming a parenthesis in the main lobby, shining white and grand and, like everything else in the school, spotless. In fact, a skinny woman, a girl, really, not much older than herself, Astrid thought, was in the process of cleaning the marble steps with a scrubbing brush. She was pale and bird-like, with a beakish nose and large brown eyes, and she scowled as Barton and Astrid passed. Astrid thought that was what Cinderella would have wound up looking like 
if she'd never been swept away by the prince. Sickly, beat down, annoyed. Cinderella sure was doing a good job, though. Astrid hadn't seen any graffiti or litter in the school. Partly, it could all be explained by volume, she knew. Everything here was built big, to house lots of people. There just didn't seem to be enough people to go around. It reminded her of the scene in the movie Watership Down. Astrid had seen the 1978 movie on television. She'd read the novel when she was 13 and had been really taken by it. When the main rabbits come across another rabbit colony. The new colony is mysteriously, insidiously underpopulated. Astrid tried to shake off the gloom. In the main office, Principal Barton gestured at a pasty-faced woman whose huge plastic glasses magnified her eyes grotesquely. She glowered from behind a desk. I'm not sure if you've met Mrs. Spicer yet, he said. She is our office administrator, but also teaches the home ec classes. We're short-staffed perpetually, so this office is generally your first stop if you're ill, if you're in trouble, if you have... He cleared his throat and picked up a stack of folders, avoiding her eye. Lady problems. No guidance counselors, unfortunately. The woman nodded, unsmiling. Astrid, who hadn't realized her mouth was hanging open, snapped it shut again. They continued into a spacious office with a window, a stately wooden desk, and an abundance of long-suffering houseplants. An ivy's dead vines extended across a bookshelf, and an enormous philodendron drooped miserably by the window. Several spider plants looked burnt to a crisp. Astrid felt thirsty just looking at them. I'll be frank, Barton intoned, as Astrid sat on one side of the desk and he situated himself on the other. I wasn't happy to hear about what happened yesterday. Astrid nodded and waited for him to continue. She hadn't been planning on snitching, but if someone else had already told him, she wasn't going to deny it either. It's extremely troubling that you managed to cause problems on your first day of school, he said. It took her a minute, hearing his words and seeing his furrowed brow, to realize that he somehow seemed to believe that Astrid was to blame. I was attacked, Astrid said, aghast. He cleared his throat. I think that's a bit of an overstatement, he said. And it's also my understanding that you provoked, Astrid interrupted. You have got to be kidding me. Excuse me, missy, he returned. You need to get something straight. None of the nonsense that you pulled at your previous school is going to fly here. We have a zero tolerance policy for bullying at Elsewhere High. This is so bogus, she spluttered. Astrid swallowed, willing herself not to cry. She took a deep breath and focused on the dying plants, tuning the principal's lecture out. She wondered if she could sneak back into the office and water the plants while he was in a meeting or something, or throw them out. A mercy killing, really. He paused and she tried to meet his eyes, but her own were wet and running. She hated how easily her body betrayed her. She looked back to the plants. Look, Astrid, he said, impatiently. I won't be emotionally manipulated by you. Again, Astrid tried to object to this unjust accusation, but he cut her off. 
We're very impressed that you're from downstate, he said sarcastically, and that your mother is a professor. But you need to know your place. How dare you behave disrespectfully to Candy? Astrid grimaced. Her voice quavering, she blurted, disrespectfully? I was minding my own business and she- I did not call your mother, he continued, speaking over her. Although frankly, you should probably be expelled. Expelled? For your own safety, if for no other reason. But I'm giving you a second chance. And Candy's not coming in today. She has to get ready for tonight. However, I don't want to have to speak to you about this again. I'll see you at the carnival. The first bell rang. And now, you should get to class. Carnival? Astrid asked. But Principal Barton had already risen and taken two long strides to the office door, which he flung open. Astrid stood and, with an apologetic glance at the plants, made her way to the door. He slammed it shut behind her. The secretary, Mrs. Spicer, was already leaning toward an old-fashioned microphone and reading announcements. Astrid listened as she walked through the mercifully empty hall. Attendance at tonight's carnival and renaming ceremony is mandatory, the woman intoned dully. The event begins promptly at five o'clock. A school-mandated carnival. How incredibly fun. Chapter five. Candy might not have been in school that day, but Astrid nevertheless soon discovered that things were as bad as she might have expected. She was an object of scorn. People pointed and whispered and laughed. A tall, thin dude, think Ichabod Crane, dressed head to toe in black except for his red shutter sunglasses. Footnote, and somehow these came back in the early 2000s, walked right up to Astrid before body slamming her into a locker. Dweeb he hissed, and onlookers guffawed. Astrid had yelped, hey! Small and weak and ridiculous in her outrage as she watched him continue down the hall, strutting with exaggerated slowness. The rest of the day had the emotional texture of a nightmare. It was as though her new classmates had read her diary and were using all her old tricks against her. With Evie, the harassment had started out small too the push in the stairwell, the stolen gym clothes. But like the fuse on a cartoon bomb, it traveled quickly and rapidly down the line before exploding. And the collateral damage hurt everyone in the vicinity. Of course, Astrid was the one left holding the bomb. Then, with a flash of painful self-awareness, she realized that Evie was the one who was hurt after all. Astrid wondered what was wrong with her, why she couldn't seem to remember she wasn't the victim of what happened to Evie, that Evie was the one who had truly paid the price. When Astrid was swapping out books at her locker, someone slapped the wall beside her head, the noise sharp and echoing. She literally jumped and whimpered. Whoever it was laughed and kept walking. Someone else spat at her feet when she entered math class. When she sat down in English, the people sitting around her made a big show of wrinkling their noses before getting up and moving to seats farther away. Even the teacher acted like she was beneath contempt. 
Astrid kept her head down, but the teacher called on her anyway, using this smarmy, nasty tone, as though catching Astrid unprepared. When Astrid gave what she thought was, all things considered, a decent answer, the teacher barely even looked at her and responded, her voice dripping with unconcealed disgust, I wonder what it is they're teaching down in those city schools. Anyone else? When the final bell rang, Astrid went to the bathroom to hide until after the surge of departing students had subsided. The hall was quiet when she got to her locker, which was a mercy because she couldn't remember her combination. She stood there, twisting the dial over and over again and yanking to no avail. Again, she realized that perhaps this was a penance. She was being made to feel how Evie had felt, being made to experience ostracism and fear and shame. She felt badly about what had happened to Evie. She really did. But it wasn't like she was the only one who teased Evie. She hadn't been a solo operator. Why was she the only one being punished? It was totally unfair. Chapter six. Astrid's little sister, Cecile, was sitting on the plaid couch in the living room, watching what appeared to be an after-school special. Footnote, cheesy and yet often compelling, movies designed to teach kids and teens important lessons on a wide range of topics like drugs, sex, pesticides, and Shakespeare, and eating a bowl of Fruit Loops. Hey, Astrid called. She dumped her bag, kicked off her shoes, and joined her sister on the sofa. Mom home? Before Cecile could answer, Astrid added, that was a joke. Cecile made a face and ate a spoonful of cereal. She talked out of the side of her mouth. She said she had, like, a department welcome party, but that, let me guess, Astrid interrupted again. Her relief at having survived the school day was suddenly replaced with rage of a seemingly unknown origin. If Astrid had stopped to think, just for a minute, the origin might have revealed itself. A sense of loss and a longing for her mother's presence and attention. She'll make it up to us next weekend. We should just... Astrid did her best impersonation of her cheerful, scatterbrained, absent mother. Order yourselves a pizza, girls. Cecile nodded with grudging admiration. She drank the milk from her cereal bowl. Pretty much, Cecile said. Although she said she'd make it up to us tomorrow, not next weekend. Mom is unbelievable, Astrid said, allowing her mouth to fall open with annoyance. Like, at this point, this is neglect. You're only 12, I'll be 13 in a few months, and you're basically raising yourself. I don't know that I'd go that far. Why did our parents even have kids? Neither of them seems to want to have anything to do with us. Don't even try to tell me I'm wrong. Astrid watched as Cecile blinked hard, no longer playful. Astrid, she said. Astrid swallowed down the lump that had somehow appeared in her throat. She didn't want to argue with Cecile, and yet, it seemed she couldn't help herself. Oh, please. Dad didn't even remember my birthday this year. He sent a card, as if. He sent it after Mom called him. I heard her on the phone. But whatever. We're better off without him. Mom is better off without him. 
Maybe. But mom is doing her best. This hasn't been easy for her, Cecile said. She rubbed at her eyes. This hasn't been easy for her? What is your damage? Astrid snapped. Why are you always on her side? I'm not on anybody's side, Cecile said, her voice quavering. Astrid felt pathetic for upsetting her little sister, as though it mattered what side Cecile was on. And yet, surrendering to her anger felt in some ways like scratching a mosquito bite or licking chapped lips. Irresistible and almost pleasurable, even though she knew it would be painful later. Look, Astrid said, folding her arms across her chest. I'm glad that mom finally got a good job, that we'll have a little more money and maybe she'll not be a laughingstock anymore or whatever. But this isn't a Virginia Slims ad. Footnote, a cigarette company that targeted women. Their slogan, you've come a long way, baby, suggested that being allowed to smoke cigarettes was another victory of women's liberation. Insert eye roll. She hasn't arrived. If you think that this job means she will work less, then I hate to break it to you. You are dead wrong. She is going to be working more than ever. Astrid spit these words at her sister. Cecile opened her mouth to object, but Astrid stopped her, shaking her head. We are just not her priority, kiddo. Face it. God, Astrid, why do you have to be like this? What should I be like, Cecile? Not so mean all the time. It's like the only person you care about is yourself. Well, Cecile, if I didn't care about myself, nobody would. Astrid rose. Rather than exhausting itself, Astrid's rage increased. She kicked the side of the couch and Cecile's shoulders jumped. Astrid, she said in a placating voice. It's her fault. Astrid surprised herself by yelling. It's all her fault. I've lost everything. All my friends, my school, my home. Astrid, Cecile said again, a little louder this time. Astrid focused on her sister, curled up and tiny on the couch. Cecile said, her voice filled with confusion and shock. You're not actually blaming mom for what happened back home, are you? It was as though Astrid were a balloon, and her sister's words, a sharp pin. It was all she could do to get out of the living room before Cecile saw her collapse completely. Chapter 7 Um, Astrid? Her sister called through the door. What? Astrid asked from under the pillow. So, I have to go to this school carnival thing, Cecile said, her voice muffled and tentative. I can get a ride home with this girl, Roberta. I just met her today at school. She's super nice. But can you walk me over? I think you're supposed to go anyway, so... Astrid let out a performative groan. She hadn't forgotten about the carnival, but she was planning to skip it. She didn't think she could face her classmates again that day. After a moment, Cecile tapped gently again. So, will you walk me over, or... Give me five, Astrid called. She could bring Cecile to the carnival, show her face to whatever administrator necessary, and then bail. Heaving herself out of bed, 
Astrid agonized for longer than she would have liked over what to wear in order to appear effortlessly cool. She opted for denim shorts and a white tee, chunky striped socks and Doc Martens. To complete the look, she threw on black suspenders and a ton of rubber bracelets. She teased out her hair and pinned it over in a modified side pony. All things considered, she thought she looked pretty rad. Footnote, don't forget, it was the 80s. Let's go, she said to Cecile as she pounded down the stairs and toward the front door. So, what happened to your forehead anyway? Cecile asked as they stepped into the early evening. The world outside their house felt almost overwhelmingly ripe and clean and vibrant. The air was fragrant with blooming trees and freshly cut grass, and the birds were almost drowned out by the late summer songs of the katydids and crickets. The slanting light was orange and lovely. For a moment, Astrid almost felt soothed. Fell, she answered, dismissively. As they walked, Astrid turned her head slightly to regard her sister. Cecile looked a lot like Astrid, smallish and dark, with their mom's black hair and their dad's green eyes. But Cecile's thick hair was curly while Astrid's was straight. Her face was round and dimpled, while Astrid's was long and thin. Her disposition was sweet, while Astrid's, she thought, was sour. When she'd fled the room, the thing that had made Astrid feel the worst was that her little sister seemed afraid of her, as though Astrid was an abusive husband or something. And after she'd cooled off, she was left with dry, crackling remorse. Astrid wished she hadn't been mean to Cecile. She wished she'd been generally nicer to her mother as well. She wished she'd acted differently in the cafeteria with Candy. She wished she hadn't persecuted Evie Rosilio back in Queens, turned the whole school against her, relentlessly teased and tormented her. Astrid wished, quite simply, that she could just stop being Astrid. She'd give anything, really, to be someone else. So this thing is at the mayor's house? Astrid asked in a grumbly voice. She already knew where it was from the posters hanging in the school hallway. Yep, Cecile said. She stopped and picked up a rock. What do you got? Astrid asked with genuine interest. Cecile held up a small stone. Just a quartz, she said. She shrugged and put the rock in her pocket. Rock collecting and polishing was one of Cecile and Astrid's few shared interests. Every trip to Central Park, to the beach, to a friend's summer home, was an opportunity to forage and collect treasures. Initially, it drove their mother crazy because the girls would come home with pockets full of rocks, which they'd often forget to empty before throwing their clothes in the hamper. Between the rocks and forgotten crayons, they'd been banned from almost all the neighborhood laundromats. But finally, their mother surrendered to the obsession and even bought them a rock tumbler a barrel-shaped machine that would replicate and speed up a process that usually takes over centuries to occur in a river, the water rolling the stones until they were smooth and polished. What their mom didn't realize, of course, was that the rock tumbler was incredibly loud and had to run, literally, nonstop for months. The first few days in the apartment were brutal, with Astrid and Cecile and their mother having to constantly scream to be heard,
and then a neighbor complained about the screaming and about the constant banging of the tumbler, and the superintendent told them the tumbler had to be shut off. But like a river wearing down hardest rock, Cecile and Astrid's tears and protests wore down the super, who allowed them to keep the tumbler in the machine room in the basement. That first batch of rocks turned out amazing. Let's set up the rock tumbler this weekend, Astrid said. Cecile smiled broadly at her sister. Great. Astrid did her best to smile back. As they approached the fancier part of town, they started to see clusters of people heading toward the mayor's house. A group of big, beefy guys all wearing letterman jackets glowered at them. Although, to Astrid's great relief, no one jeered or said anything to reveal her outcast status to her sister. They could smell it before they saw it. Cotton candy, popcorn, meat on a grill. And then, at a bend in the road, Astrid and Cecile could see the house. It was a large, white, Georgian mansion, and every window was lit up, reminding Astrid of the houses in Christmas train sets. The carnival was taking place on the expansive front lawn. In addition to a small stage, there were game booths, food stands, a dunk tank, and a small, dinky-looking Ferris wheel, spinning slowly. Pop music filled the air. Astrid recognized Wang Chung's Everybody Have Fun Tonight. Wow, Cecile said. This is kind of cool. Is it? Astrid said. She had her doubts. At the edge of the lawn, Astrid recognized Mrs. Spicer from the school office, her glasses giving her an owl-like appearance. Mrs. Spicer approached and checked something off on her clipboard. Astrid, she said. Cecile? Um, present? Cecile answered. Mrs. Spicer nodded briskly and made another note. Astrid, you're to report to the sweet shop tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. Mayor Clifton will be expecting you. What? Astrid asked. Expecting me for what? But Mrs. Spicer had already turned and was checking off other arrivals. Astrid looked at her sister. What's that about? Beats me, Cecile said. Wanna go on the Ferris wheel? There's no line. Astrid looked up at the creaking structure. It was only about three stories tall. You really want to risk your life on that thing? Cecile smiled, grabbed her sister's hand, and began to tug her along. At least if it collapses, we won't have far to fall. They walked up the short deck of stairs and, with a nod at the sullen ride operator, climbed into their little cart. A moment later, they were jerked upward to allow another pair to board. Astrid, who had been concentrating as much as possible on the ground in front of her in order to avoid making eye contact with anyone, couldn't help but feel people around her watching. She saw one gaggle of girls pointing and whispering. A pudgy-faced boy Astrid recognized from some of her classes gaped at her with open contempt. Then, a younger kid that Astrid didn't recognize waved at them. Cecile waved back. Who's that? Astrid asked. That's Roberta from school, the girl I told you about, Cecile said. Well, I'm glad at least someone's making friends. You're not making friends? Cecile asked. Although her sister's question was innocent, Astrid felt embarrassed and annoyed. Their cart jerked upward again, 
with a force that felt almost aggressive. I don't want to be friends with any of these people, Astrid growled. They're all awful. The sisters sat in silence as the ride began to move in earnest. At the top, Astrid scanned the crowd. Cheerleaders in their uniforms strutted around, guided by the football players in their special jackets, apparently working hard to embody every Hollywood cliche about high school hierarchies. Denim-jacketed men hung around parked pickups, drinking beers, and the younger kids played the carnival games, a cheer going up whenever one of them won anything. People seemed happy, but there was an exertion about it all, a sense of strain. Astrid's cheeks hurt just thinking about smiling that much. There was a long line for the dunk tank in which a miserable-looking guy sat, waiting to be submerged yet again as people around him heckled and jeered. A woman with enormous blonde hair, wearing something teal and taffeta, stood by a low stage. Check her out, Astrid said to Cecile. That's Mayor Clifton, Cecile said. Oh, Astrid said. Is that Candy's mom, Cecile answered. I met her, Mayor Clifton, when we came up here for the house closing. Remember you didn't want to come? Anyway, Mayor Clifton was the realtor and the seller. Astrid shook her head. Wait, what? She's the mayor? And they lived in our house before? No, Cecile corrected. They didn't live in it, but they own a lot of property in elsewhere. Astrid had more questions, but the ride ended and, after disembarking, she noticed a group of kids Cecile's age watching them. She looked at Cecile. Go, Astrid said. Hang out with your friends. I'm gonna take off anyway. Astrid, Cecile said. You'll get home okay? Yeah. All right, have fun. Astrid gave her sister a thumbs up, hoping to compensate for the obvious fraudulence of her smile. Cecile looked doubtful, but only glanced back once as she skipped off toward her friends. Alone, Astrid scanned the yard for escape routes. She felt too obvious, perhaps because it was clear that she was, in fact, under surveillance. Every time someone looked at her felt like a jellyfish sting. Over here, someone hissed. Astrid turned. There was a person concealed behind the machinery of the Ferris wheel. Astrid took a step closer and saw a girl holding a small terrier-type dog. You can hide out with us, the stranger said, smiling. Oh, Astrid said, stepping into the shadows. Thanks. I like your shoes, the girl said, and Astrid looked down. Astrid noticed that the other girl, who was slight with brown skin, black hair, and severe black eyeliner, was also wearing Doc Martens, but hers were pink. Thanks, Astrid said. I like yours too. I'm Astrid. I know, the girl said. I'm Marcel. This is Scooter. She placed the dog on the ground and he immediately began sniffing and pawing at Astrid, who bent down to scratch him behind his ears. An unholy screech filled the air. Feedback from the microphone. Scooter dashed behind Marcel's legs, and Astrid straightened and looked at the stage. Mayor Clifton stood in front of a tall, draped structure, waving at the crowd gleefully. Hey, everybody, she sang. 
the mic gave off another terrible noise, and everyone moaned and grabbed at their ears. Mayor Clifton barked orders at some unseen party and tried again. Sorry about that, she chirped. What fun, am I right? We are so happy that we were able to throw this party for you all tonight. Thanks, Glenn, for manning the grill. A small cheer went up, and a man in a police uniform waved a spatula in the air. We did this for you, the people of elsewhere. Mayor Clifton said with earnest intensity that, to Astrid, bordered on parody. Your job is to enjoy yourselves, because that's what we want for you. We want you to be happy and to have fun. And now, of course, the girl who makes it all possible, our girl, our candy girl, here she is. Everyone applauded, Astrid and Marcel included, as Candy walked dramatically down the front steps of the mansion, accompanied by a song that Astrid thought was called, I Heard a Rumor. Candy, her hair curled and sprayed up to seemingly impossible heights, sashayed to the dais where her mother waited, did a quick spin so that everyone could admire her in her strapless white dress. There were audible oohs and many wolf whistles. Took the mic and, with a finger drawn across her neck, signaled for the music to be cut. Hi, everybody, she cooed in a baby voice. Hi, Candy, the crowd cooed back. Candy pretended to giggle and blush. What's going on here? Astrid couldn't help but ask. Marcel snorted a laugh. You mean besides a huge waste of taxpayer money? Astrid looked again at this cool-looking, and apparently critically thinking, person beside her and chuckled. It's a town renaming. Marcel leaned in closer and spoke in a hushed tone. She smelled, Astrid thought, like incense and teen spirit perfume. There's something like this every year or two. A new portrait is unveiled or a holiday proclaimed. This year, she has decided she no longer likes the name elsewhere. Marcel shook her head. It's just for show. I think you have to do things like file paperwork with the state to officially change the town's name. So, this is Bread and Circuses? What's the new name? Astrid asked. Marcel smiled mischievously. You'll see. Astrid turned her attention back to the stage. First order of business, Candy announced, a huge, mean smile plastered across her face. I'd like to invite Gina and Charles up here. Astrid heard Marcel take a sharp inhale of breath. She turned to see if Marcel was okay, but the other girl had her eyes glued to the stage. That wasn't actually a request, Candy said. Gina and Charles, come up here right now. Astrid watched as the man in the dunk tank was hauled out and pushed toward the stage. He was joined by a pretty woman in her 20s, Astrid noticed Marcel watching intently. You know her? Astrid asked. Yeah, Marcel said. She's my cousin. Marcel met Astrid's eye. A lot of us around here are related some way or another. Following Marcel's lead, Astrid turned her attention back to the stage, where Candy was pacing like a talk show host. Holding the mic to her mouth playfully close, she whispered, I heard a rumor. Then she sang it, 
I've heard a rumor. The crowd laughed and cheered. But seriously, Candy said. She replaced the smile on her face with an exaggerated frown. Astrid felt unaccountably nervous. What should I do with them? Candy asked the crowd, adding in a lower and dramatic tone meant to be funny. Should I put them out of their misery? People laughed and Astrid could hear some folks yelling. Suggestions, she imagined, although she couldn't hear them clearly. She watched as Candy pointed at someone in the crowd. Good one, Jason, she crowed. You dirty dog. The couple joined Candy on the stage. Suddenly, the dripping man threw himself at Candy's feet. Please, he wailed. He grabbed Candy's ankles. He was crying. The woman stood behind him, apparently in a state of shock. What is happening? Astrid said, turning to Marcel. Marcel shook her head, her eyes locked on the stage. She found out somehow. Found out what? Marcel didn't answer. Candy, holding the mic away from her face, seemed to listen to the man and then turned to the crowd. She brought the microphone back to her lips and said, he says it's all his fault. Gina didn't even know anything about it. Is that right, Gina? Gina stood dumbly, apparently incapable of answering. Candy made an exaggerated sad face. Gina is so innocent. Candy turned back to the crowd and smiled brightly. She may not be innocent, but she sure is lucky, because tonight is a celebration. Candy put back on her cutesy voice, but it had a bit of an edge in it, too. She sounded like a mean baby. You'll work for me from now on, Gina. Sound good? Good. See you at 8 a.m. sharp. Now get off the stage. Candy turned back to the man, who had risen to his knees and had remained there, his hands cupped in pleading remorse. And you, Candy said. She pulled the microphone away from her face again and leaned down. She whispered in the man's ear. What's she saying? Astrid asked Marcel. I have no idea, Marcel murmured. Her face was creased with worry. The crowd was absolutely still. The man, Astrid could see, was nodding, and then he was fully weeping. Candy turned, stone-faced, to her audience. Charles Donovan, she said. I told Charles Donovan that he has to wash my car for a month. Candy broke out in a dazzling smile, and a whoop went up from the crowd. Candy did some sort of running man moonwalk dance move and people went wild. Even Astrid could feel the relief that swept over the crowd. She didn't know what was happening, but she half imagined that Candy was about to order the crowd to start throwing their food at this guy, like they'd done to Astrid the day before. But no, it would seem that Charles Donovan had been given a reprieve. He stood and wiped at his face with the sleeves of his flannel shirt before moving, a bit robotically, Astrid thought, to the edge of the stage and then down the little stairs. As he dismounted, he was slapped on the back and embraced. It seemed as though the crowd collectively exhaled, like Charles had just dodged a bullet or something. But he didn't respond. 
He just kept walking, returning to the dunk tank. He climbed back in. Candy laughed. Let's make sure he learns his lesson, right, folks? Dunk that dork. A line immediately formed back at the dunk tank. Astrid felt an urge to go over and join them. It was absurd, but she felt like Candy had been talking directly to her. But she blinked and dismissed the desire. On the stage, Candy called, hit it. The music blared again, this time Robert Palmer's Simply Irresistible. Candy vamped around and then stood still, gently bobbing her thighs like one of the women in the video. Some people screamed with delight. Astrid looked at Marcel, who rolled her eyes. Astrid had only seen this kind of hysteria in old videos about the Beatles coming to America. She felt simultaneously drawn in, thinking how easy it might be to just ride the wave of enthusiasm around her, but also disgusted. It felt false and a bit unhinged, and somehow there was an undercurrent of cruelty. Candy then gestured again, and the music, and the crowd, died down. Thank you all so much for doing this for me. You know, when my mother first came to me and said that some of you were petitioning for a town name change, I was so honored. I want to thank you all tonight, from the bottom of my heart, my cheer girls are waiting over there, over by Jamie's pickup. And you'll see in the bed of the truck, there is a gift bag for each and every family. Just a little something sweet for you all to take home tonight. The crowd roared with appreciation, and Candy waved an arm. It's nothing, babies. It's my pleasure. And now, Candy announced, the moment you've all been waiting for. She turned her attention to the structure draped in a sheet. Count down with me, she instructed the crowd, and they did, Astrid and Marcel included. Three, two, one. Candy yanked the drape to reveal a six-foot pole holding a sign. Welcome to Candyland, the sweetest town you'll ever meet. Astrid scoffed and turned to Marcel. Over the din of applause, she asked, how do you meet a town? Marcel shrugged and shook her head. I guess the happiest place on earth was already taken. New Edition's Candy Girl boomed from the speakers, and Candy began to prance across the stage, like she was the sole performer in a high school talent show. As ridiculous as she looked, however, Astrid again found herself unable to look away. Candy was graceful, despite her silly dance moves, and although her fashion choices were not to Astrid's taste, she really was beautiful. The crowd bopped along with her, hooting and hollering and egging her on. Hey, Marcel said, tapping Astrid on the shoulder. Wanna try to get out of here? It seems like they're about to set off the fireworks. We could probably split now and not be noticed. Yes, Astrid said, without hesitation. Marcel nodded and Astrid followed her. They kept close to the Ferris wheel as they made their way behind it, and then walked swiftly but casually toward a neighboring house. Astrid dared not look back until she was sure they were out of sight. We won't get our gift bags, Astrid whispered sarcastically as they turned into the house's yard. Marcel guffawed. It's just candy, and maybe a $5 gift certificate to the sweet shop. 
She wiggled a finger in the air to say, big whoop. Like I said, bread and circuses. Gag me with a spoon. That candy is one scary girl, and everyone in town seems to be wrapped around her pretty pink finger. How does she do it? Stay tuned to find out. So don't forget to subscribe to CamCat Unwrapped. Tune in to hear all our audiobooks as we release them right here on CamCat Unwrapped as serialized podcasts. The first two episodes of every book can always be found here, but subsequent episodes will be available for free listening only for a short time after their release. After that, they'll be gone. But don't worry, the audiobooks are available for purchase on Audible and other major retailers. If you don't want to miss a beat, listen now on the audiobook platform of your choice. All our books are also available in print and ebook formats on camcatbooks.com or wherever books are sold. Before you go, please take a moment to leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. Thank you! CamCat Unwrapped also offers other CamCat books as podcasts. Check out our interviews with authors, editors, and other bookworms in our background episodes where we unwrap exclusive content relating to our books. Tune in again to CamCat Unwrapped, because CamCat Unwrapped is where book lovers meet.